Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 247 on the See You on the Other Side podcast. Oh, Mike, you sound rough. Well, um, <laughs> I had a I had a battle with the cryptid this weekend, oh, and he no. ripped me. He, that's right. I fought the Beast of Bray Road, and the Beast of Bray Road <laughs> gave me right in the throat. Oh, but you survived. <laughs> I'm so glad. I barely survived. Uh, the Beast of Bray Road did not survive. He vanished in a puff of smoke and oh, red dear. eyes, and he went back to whatever universe uh, <laughs> that he came from. No, I didn't really fight a cryptid. I think I just uh, just got a bug. Oh, sorry so to hear that. So what are you going to do? So anyway, so if things sound extra sexy today, <laughs> I completely understand everybody, <laughs> my low, beautiful voice. Mm. If you need to turn the bass up and sit on your speaker or anything like that. <laughs> oh my God. You, <laughs> you get a real <laughs> treat in this episode of See You oh, on the Other Side. Alrighty then. <laughs> hey, Okay. But episode 247, I'm excited to talk about uh, Irish lake monsters today. Ooh, and yeah. it's something I've never heard of before. And so, Wendy, uh, we're bringing along Allison. Hey, everybody. Welcome, Allison. And, and so, Allison, my sister for the Milwaukee Ghosts, Allison Jordan, the, the Wisconsin Paranormal Researcher of the Year. You know, other people have won that particular award. But, Allison, <laughs> you are the winner every year in our hearts. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I keep bringing it up so nobody nobody forgets. <laughs> That's right, and uh, we also want to welcome our Irish sea monster adventurer expert today, and that is Travis Wolf, and he's joining us from the other side of the planet. He's joining us from Thailand. Hi, Travis. How you doing? Welcome, Travis. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Can you hear us all the way over there in Thailand? <laughs> I can. All right. Okay. Sounds good. And that makes me hungry for some tofu and peanut sauce and broccoli and everything. Just thinking about food, that yeah. gets me excited. Mm-hmm. I, you, you should be having that for dinner right now. In fact, if you want to eat while you're talking on the podcast, <laughs> if you decide to have like some pra, uh, was it? Pudgar Pao. How about that? It's pretty good. Pra Ram Long Song. That's the stuff that I like. That's, so <laughs> that's right. You, that's your favorite. And um, he's actually 12 hours difference than us so so it is the morning time yeah or he's yeah tofu's good anytime not just for dinner that's right that's right all right so so okay getting into it so everybody who's been listening to the podcast knows the story of allison knows the story of me knows the story of wendy travis how did you get mixed up uh in all this weird stuff (laughs) okay so um geez how far back should I go? When I was 14 years old, we took a family. So your first weird, your first weird thing. <laughs> Let, let's just start with your first weird thing. I think that is the beginning. It, uh, when I was 14, we took a road trip and through through Roswell, you know, where I we went to the museum. I bought a few books and kind of got started on that. And from there, you know, eventually owned a whole library of books through my teens and just kept reading, reading, reading about UFOs mostly. And then eventually on to... Um, cryptids you know in my in my 20s now i'm 34 so yeah i find it extremely interesting now about two years ago i happened across the uh irish water monster stories for the very first time you know in all the years i'd never heard of it and a lot of people haven't so that's what we're going to get into more more tonight i guess all right definitely yeah i mean when you brought it to me travis i was really surprised to hear about the variety of creatures yeah uh, and, you know, we'll get into that because, you know, everybody has heard of Nessie um, from Scotland, Loch Ness, and uh, she's just a big old glory hog because it <laughs> turns out there's, there is a, just such a plethora of really weird creatures coming out of Irish lakes. And it's basically uh, largely unknown, an untapped phenomena that, that uh, you know, most people uh, don't know anything about. So, you know, you don't usually find that in the paranormal. So we definitely need to hear more. Yeah. Now, now Travis, have you, since you're into cryptids, have you ever had a, a cryptid encounter? Like, have you seen, you know, seen a, any kind of water serpent? Have you 
smelled Bigfoot. Have you fought off the Beast of Bray Road? Have you? Right. Did you get your throat ripped out by the Beast of Bray Road to give you an incredibly deep, sexy voice? He said he had a sore throat too, so, you know. I wish I had. Well, that's true. He could have fought off. You know, I'm good friends with uh, Linda Godfrey, who introduced me to um, one of these uh, sighting locations she wrote about in Reed City, Michigan. And so back in 2006, 2007, I took a group up to, well, several times up to that area, and we kind of did our own investigation by that by that old house. Um, a lot of people who are familiar with um, Linda Godfrey's work are familiar with um, the Reed City sightings, and that's exactly where it took place. It's an old house back in the woods on a dirt road. We went up there four or five times, um, heard a lot of really, really interesting things, you know, tree breaks, uh, growling heavy footsteps through the woods, but we, we did not see it. What did people see in Reed City, Michigan? Just just in case you're not, people aren't familiar with the Reed, we all know the Beast of Bray Road because it's Wisconsin, Wisconsin A, number one. But let's hear about what they did in Michigan. Okay, so the the creature supposedly has been seen a few times right in that, right in that area, but the how it got started was that uh, four college students went up to, went up to this area because they heard a story about, uh, you know, ghost stories at the house. They used to be like a kids would go up there and party. You know, there's a large uh, university in uh, Big Rapids, Michigan, and about 15 minutes north of there is Reed City. So college kids would go up there and party, and they, they heard there was go, there were ghost stories around there. The kids went up there, didn't see any ghosts, but they parked the car, turned the lights off, and, uh, you know, they saw essentially a werewolf come out of the woods and stand there and stare at them. And so they, they drove off, they left, and chased them down the road. About 10, 10, 20 minutes later, as far as I can remember, they came back to the location. They talked themselves into coming back just to see if they were crazy or what, what exactly was it that they saw. And again, it came out of the, you know, out of the forest and stood up next near the car behind a tree, leaned out from the tree and stared at them. And they were just frantic, you know. And they wrote a, I don't know, two, three, four page uh, um, description of what they saw and Linda posted it in her, uh, on her blog. Yeah. And that's awesome. And that's where you guys went to investigate exactly, yeah. and see if you could see the Reed city monster. So that was your early, uh, sessions in exploring, uh, cryptozoology and the paranormal was, was checking that house out. That's exactly right. Yep. And then a few years later, I, uh, I put together what was at the time the the largest you know Jersey Devil? You guys heard of the New Jersey Devil? Yes, absolutely. Heard of, heard of him? Okay, good, good. So you know about it. Uh, yeah, I put together absolutely massive uh, website cataloging all the sightings, all the theories, um, all the descriptions, locations, maps. Um, oh wow! All the photos on the entire internet, I cataloged into the into that one website. It was really good. Uh, go ahead. And Travis, since some of our audience members might not be totally familiar. Could you give a quick little uh, summary of the Jersey Devil, please? And we're not talking about Snooky. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other one. So you have an upright um, winged monster with the, you know, hooves of a horse, wings, it can fly. It makes a loud loud, um, screeching noise. And it's been seen approximately 2,000 times in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey, which is... um, sort of area between New York City and Philadelphia, but further south. There's sort of a, yeah, between, I guess more so between uh, Philadelphia and Atlantic City. There's a large area of uh, pinelands, mostly barren, and uh, not too many people live there, and that's sort of the, the land of the devil. That's where he hangs out. But they always say a lot of people are buried there. Oh, right. From uh, Mafia. Oh, yeah, um, right. Coming over a, from New York and from New Jersey. Yeah, there was an episode, I think, on Sopranos where they were down there, right, to bury someone. Right, and the Russian, like, the Russian escaped at the end, too, so you never know what's mm. going to happen to him. Anyway, spoilers for that, but it's like 16 years old. <laughs> but, um, you know, some famous people have actually uh, seen the Jersey Devil or been uh, involved in the search. Uh, wasn't it, like, Napoleon Bonaparte's brother that, claim to have seen the Jersey devil. I, I know there, there were, That's right. were certainly, yeah. Yeah. So that what, like the Napoleon. Yeah. His, his brother. So it's like, sure. It's like Bill Murray's brother or, or John Travolta's brother, but still, it's still good. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that was like 200. And, so this would be like 200 and 
you know, 20 years yeah, ago. That's yeah, that's where it all that, started, all yeah, the sightings. That sort of parallels the Irish water monster because they, it, they've been around for as long as Ireland, maybe. You know, <laughs> stories go way back. Wow. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah, and that's a fascinating thing about uh, that the Irish water monsters as well, just how far back the sightings go and that it seems every generation or so people are coming forward with these strange sightings. So it, it's it's not just, you know, something that's an isolated event. It, it's something that repeats over the centuries and that's really what, what is most compelling to me that, you know, there are all these ancient records of some of these creatures and it just persists through time. And hey, why don't we know more about them? What are some of those reports or early records? Because now we have like our, our head has been poisoned by, uh, not necessarily poisoned, but you know what I mean? Like our head's been infected with all these ideas of, you know, the Loch Ness Monster as a plesiosaur. Or yeah. sea serpents, this idea of giant snakes in the water. And you know, there was just a great article that was out in this past month where people were talking about how uh, once dinosaurs were introduced, you know, people started seeing dinosaurs. You know, it's the concept of dinosaurs was introduced to people in the uh, late 19th century. Then people started seeing dinosaurs in the water, and the, and the Loch Ness monster, you know, went from being a snake or something like that to being a dinosaur. So I'd really be interested in some of those early reports um, before snakes or, I mean, not before snakes were around or whatever, but before we had this preconceived notion as to what uh, a water monster was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, since I'm relatively new to the subject, I've, you've been reading through these reports for a couple of years on and off and really, really interested in, I'm not a good cataloger. I can't tell you from memory what the oldest story is. I can tell you though, that these things go, they go way back. I've read stories from two, 300 years ago that you can find online. And these are, these have been in the Irish folklore for a very, very long time. There are, there are depictions, drawings of them um, in various forms, like Allison said, um, as far back as anyone can remember. Yeah. And, and, oh, you know, why don't we start with one? Like there's the horse eel and then there's the, the giant otter. Uh, I, I think the Dabarku, something it's, um, Similar pronunciation. The Varchu, I think. And people pronounce it different ways, yeah. So there, there are sort of two or I, – I think it's – depending on who you ask, because I've seen it pronounced different ways, Devar, like D, D-V-A-R or, or D-B-U-R. I've heard it both ways. Devarchu, like C-H-U. Yeah, that's my favorite just uh, because it's so obscure. Yeah, you seem to take a liking to that. And it makes me think about eating like a, like a big sea monster. <laughs> and I was thinking Devarchu, Gesundheit. Yeah, Except that this is <laughs> this is a huge mammal that's been reported that looks um, somewhere between uh, like a, a giant otter. Some it's sometimes known as the master otter. Um, it's also um, compared to a dog. Wait, the master otter? Yeah, the master otter. So, um, you know, probably <laughs> you know people people listening to our podcast that have heard of. Of the Mapanguari, for example, which is a, a form of maybe, a, a, well, supposed, supposedly extinct megafauna, which is a giant sloth that, that's been seen in various areas in South America, I believe. And uh, so, you know, perhaps this is, this is some remnant of megafauna as well, but it, it's a giant, ferocious otter. I mean, when I think of otters, I, I really just want to <laughs> hug them into next week. But yeah, yeah, this 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 guy is supposed to be deadly. Uh, well, he's the master, right? And there's there's even um, there's even an old old grave uh, from the 1800s or prior to that where a woman um, was reportedly killed by this giant, uh, well, it's also known, uh, so the master otter is, is one of the um, things it's called, but also uh, known as the Irish water hound. And so one, uh, there's this story going back a couple hundred years, uh, at least, that talks about this woman who was uh, along the shore and was killed by this creature. And on her tomb, actually, is a depiction of the creature, like right on the headstone. 
uh, of the, the, the creature that killed her. So, you know, hopefully Travis, you know, will will get some footage of that grave site. But uh, that's one of the stories that, you know, if sometimes you go down to the water, this creature might get upset that you're there and actually uh, rip out your entrails <laughs> and leave you for for dead. <laughs> so and then and then on your tombstone they'll draw a picture of the freaking otter and not <laughs> a picture otter. of you. Right, the Irish waterhound. This is one of the creatures that you guys want to go investigate. So huh? not so cute and cuddly, but yeah. you know I might get my wish to actually, you know, have my epitaph include uh, a giant monster and. <laughs> The the uh, yeoman's tale of being eaten by this this giant creature. Uh, I mean, hey, that would be a great way to go. I think. <laughs> is there one particular lake in Ireland that has a lot of the stories, or is there you know is there you know like in in uh, the Scotland, obviously, of Loch Ness is the most famous place. But is there like one particular Irish lake, like if the you know the lake's <laughs> full of Jameson or something like that, and the monsters are huge? Yeah, there are said to be there are said to be just a small handful of lakes where they've primarily been seen. Though specifically, Allison take more, took more of a liking, uh, more of an interest in that uh, in that creature. Yeah, the the Irish waterhound, uh, just because it, it's so different in that it, it is a mammalian creature. Uh, and it looks like a giant otter, but it also, you know, has flippers uh, instead of, you know, legs like an otter. So it it has some, you know, different uh, features than you'd expect in an otter. Uh, one of the witnesses um, claimed to that the the flippers near the back anyway were had some orange coloration on them. So that's really obscure to see orange in nature, especially in a mammalian species. But so that was really an interesting point that kind of that's obscure detail that, uh, you know, makes you wonder uh, because if somebody's just making something up, they're probably not going to put in details such as that. Well, uh, you know, it makes me think of, we can talk about mammals in the water. Um, I mean, the American Indians have the, you know, several different traditions talk about the water panthers. Absolutely, yeah. And that's a similar kind of thing. And not, not necessarily like an otter, but a non-aquatic type creature in the water. Um, that's, you know, because the water panthers, at least in in some of the things that I have read, the water panthers are uh, more about, you know, dragging humans in, bringing people, you know, they're, they're not as... Uh, lovey-dovey towards people no they're not, they're definitely not friendly and uh yeah in in many of the woodland traditions where we're from uh in wisconsin yeah there are stories of uh mishapiju uh, in uh the ojibwe culture which is the water panther which is something that you don't want to mess with and the the thunderbird actually is thought to counteract the evil energy of, of that creature and, and protect people uh, from incursions uh, where, you know, these these uh, poor hapless victims are, are dragged into the water. Funny enough, who told me about that? Uh, originally, it was Linda Godfrey was telling me about Williams Bay, which was a, a supposed to be a point that's not too far where, from where Linda lives. Not that I'm, I'm not going to dox her or anything like that. <laughs> like this is Linda's house. Find her. <laughs> Send it to Bigfoot. Um, but as far as um, Williams Bay, Wisconsin, is just this, this bay on you know, near Lake Geneva or the Geneva Lake, and uh, that was the the battle place of the Thunderbirds mm-hmm. versus the Water mm-hmm. Panthers, and and that's where they fought each other. Uh, and the Thunderbirds were trying to do nice things for for people, and the Water Panthers were trying uh-huh. to uh, eat them all up. So, uh, just a little, uh, you know, uh, a full circle back to our friend Linda and the Beast of Bray Road. Well, right and, and it's in- always interesting to to hear about cross cultural connections. I mean, certainly when you find those, that that makes you think that hey, there might be some reality to some of these phenomena that is repeating itself over time and, and throughout culture. So, so Travis, yeah, that's my favorite, the, the giant otter. Uh, what's your favorite? Okay. Well, the other one is called the horse eel, you know, like the word horse and eel, the animal. So basically 
people describe <laughs> people describe a cross between a horse and an eel. Sounds terrifying already. Okay, let's get let's get that let's get that mental image in here real quick. Like, because a horse is huge. It is hard to picture. <laughs> is it like a horse with a bunch of eels for legs? No, <laughs> no. So basically, uh, what people describe is something, um, you know, with a horse-like head that that trails off into the body of an eel. Without horse legs, it's got uh, short, oh. stumpy legs. You know, maybe like a like a reptile or something. But uh, the the body isn't uh, like a long eel with a mane down its back a, a lot of the times. And this can this can be huh. as long as you know. The stories go from two meters in length. Um, I'd say I'm trying to think if there's an average. I can just roughly like take in my head now. I think I would want to say something around five meters on average from the stories I recall that I've read, um, and as long as thirty meters. Well, there the, the, there's one. There's only one story that it's people claim is as long as thirty meters, but that had twelve witnesses. So that's you know. So is it a regular size horse head then? You know, like the kind you find in your bed or whatever. <laughs> I know. In your bed. What do you mean? That's a, oh, that's a, that's a, a joke yeah, from the Godfather. Obscure Godfather reference. <laughs> I haven't seen it. So, but the thing is, okay, so it's like a regular size horse head that trails off into an eel body. And even, even if it's only two meters, that's six feet for Americans here now. That's right. Um, so even if it's only, I suppose even if it's only six feet long. If it was only two meters, yeah, but. You know, you would need a larger one to support an entire like horse size head, but a horse shaped head more like. Yeah. I see. I'm also picturing like a seahorse, but maybe not with the curly tail, more of a, a slithery snake tail. Yeah. So people who have seen it from a distance report basically what they initially thought was a horse until they saw it move across land oh, or splash wow. down into the water. And the body was long like an, like an eel, usually dark in color, dark brown or black. And that makes me think of... The Scottish tradition of the Kelpie Mike, which, which, or the water horse. And what's that? Well, it is a fearsome creature that, much like the water panther of legend in this area, drags people (laughs) down to the depths. Mm. Uh, And yeah, it's kind of a, has an association with the Fae as well, because, uh, when you think of it, like the puka, for example, in um, Irish fey tradition, they can appear as different animals, generally rabbits, but sometimes horses as well. And they will ride through or uh, trot through and, you know, invite you to take a ride. And if it's a puka, you're, you're probably going <laughs> to gonna end up okay in the end i mean they they generally want to scare you to death but but that's it and uh if it's a more of like a kelpie creature from scottish tradition it'll appear as a horse and then drive you into the water uh drive you under until you drown it'll kill you dead body (laughs) that's that's right allison i've read the story you know what what i've wondered is why would it's like someone sees a horse along the the shore of a small lake. Why would they actually jump on? And then and it's said that you you jump on the horse, you sit on its back, and it rides down into the water and drowns you and eats you. Well, who would get on a random horse they came across? Well, Travis, obviously, you've never been a little oh. girl <laughs> because little girls love horses. That's, that's right. That's and it. and when you think of of uh, back in time, I mean, to have a horse that would be huge. I mean, for transportation, for your economic yeah. status. So a free horse walking <laughs> along the shore. Hey, get that thing, right? Jump on the back. Especially. See if you can ride it Especially home. if it's it, a horse eel that you can jump on, you can take it around land, and it's amphibious. It's like it's like one of those ducks. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? Again, we're talking about... We're talking about uh, the vehicles the, that were used in World War II that were nicknamed the Ducks. And uh, if if you're from around here, Wisconsin Dells uh, has a lot of duck rides. So I think that's what you're talking about, Mike. You know, just just the power to have this creature that can you know take you over land and water. Yeah, I'd jump on. It, do, it does seem curious though that a human would like <laughs> go after it and try to you know. <laughs> catch it but then again you know if it's a water creature it's possible it might some of the other water cryptids that we've heard of that 
use the siren technique to kind of lure people in. And if it's going to take you down into its watery den. Absolutely. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Of. So Wendy, when you just said they hit the nail on the head. That my next question was going to talk about sentience. And so normally when you think of a cryptid, if it's just going to be a, like a bizarre animal or something that we just haven't discovered yet, then okay, that's cool. Um, but if it, if it has some kind of malevolent sentience, like we're talking about with the Kelpie or the water panther, where they're intelligent, uh, you know, the, uh, the water horse leads you to your death. Like it's, you know, it's making a plan. It <laughs> wants to eat you. It, you know, it wants to mm. swallow your soul kind of thing. Um, and so that's what I, so are there tales of, are these in, intelligent creatures? Uh, have, do, have people ever talked to a horse eel? Well, uh, don't see. I think we get those two things confused. There, there's this horse-like um, creature that appears as an actual horse that drags people down into the water. Now, the one I'm more interested in that we have a lot more sighting reports of is the horse eel, which is not said to do that. It basically just appears as an extremely large eel, typically already in the water in lakes, um, less less commonly on land. Um, but what makes it really, really interesting, which make what what makes this whole mystery really interesting for me anyway, um, and Allison, you can chime in too and let me know, is that the territory that these things have been seen is is you know confined to just a really small handful of really small lakes. We're talking about two hundred feet across, three hundred feet across, um, and they're all in the same little area. They're all within a few miles of each other, and they're all connected by. Um, a small network of streams and and those streams eventually dump out into the ocean so it's not like um you know when you go looking for bigfoot or something you're you have uh you know 40 50 000 square miles of terrain to to search in this you know this can this can be done in over a weekend i mean i'm, I'm making it sound easier <laughs> than it is but you know just to make it sound <laughs> funny but it's that's what's fascinating for me is that the train is just it's very localized yeah and which part of ireland is this in um so uh I, ireland for people who are not familiar it's just you know a large island now along the west coast uh, c- central ireland along the west coast um there is a region called uh, connemara okay and that's exactly where it is if you go over that on google maps or google earth or something you'll see uh, you know, there's not much there. There's only one, one town Clifton really. And apart from that, there's just uh, scattered tiny little, um, parishes. And what you'll see, sorry, what you'll see is just, you know, hundreds of tiny, tiny little lakes connected. And that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Sounds like Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and for me, when Travis brought me his idea, uh, for uh, his Enigma project, which is the the film, uh, the film project we're going to be talking about, I I was just really blown away by the idea that hey, here is something that's been reported by so many people over the centuries, but yet it's in a very clearly defined, small, doable search area. So it it's got all the things you want in a cryptid. It, it's these incredible untold stories. It's very strange uh, details from eyewitnesses. Uh, and it's in an area which you can cover very easily. So, I mean, it's, it's not going to be a cakewalk, but it's going to be possible to stake out these lakes over a period of time and really, really get something if there's something to be gotten. So I, I think I think that's what really sets it apart, the, these uh, water monsters of Ireland, from other creatures which, you know, come from vast expanses that are hard to put your finger on. But, but this is something that, you know, seems to be, in the world of cryptozoology, some low-hanging fruit that we should be taking that we should be taking notice of so that uh, we can find one of these monsters. So I'm curious, how did these creatures get on the radar in the first place? You know, it's such a remote area. And like you were saying, it's out in the country and it's very small and localized. And, uh, you know, 
here for like for UFOs, we have MUFON and other organizations where we can call in and report sightings. But where did these stories initially, you know, how did you find out about them? So back in the 60s, um, there was a there's a guy named uh, Frederick uh, William Holliday. And he is a he was a well-known um, researcher at Loch Ness. Ah. Uh, he took a couple summers in uh, 68 and 69. And he went over to Connemara to do research, interview witnesses. Um, what he didn't do was he didn't create a, a, a film, a documentary like, uh, you know, like I would I would have appreciated if he had because <laughs> there was a story to be told there, you know. And so he came out with a, a book uh, called The Dragon and the Disc. And that's that's where I learned about it from. Yeah. And so he talks about he talks about um, going there, interviewing people, people who are still living, by the way, that, that I'm in, in contact with, uh, who who saw these creatures and these tiny, I hesitate to call them lakes. They're, they're more ponds for me, um, ponds on their property. And they're, you know, absolutely startled by these, by these things you know, floating around in the water, looking back at them. And uh, he talks about, uh, geez, it, go, it goes on and on. I mean, at one time they took a, they took a rowboat onto the lake and, and did a dragnet across the entire thing. And, wow. And, um, came up with nothing, you know, just a few days after people saw it in that, in that lake. Now, do they have any kind of explanation? Like, you know how people like to make explanations up for anything. You know, is there any kind of particular explanation that they have for these creatures? Like, um, are they from hell or are they, you know, creatures of, you know, they're friends with the fairies or, you know, anything like that? I mean, did people, um, have a chance to, uh, you know, um, like make up a story for it? Yeah, there there are a couple stories uh, in the fifties where where people said that there were um, escaped uh, sea lions, if I'm not mistaken, from zoos, in in not specifically in that area, but in Ireland, and that could account for some of the sightings. Um, there are there are some um, seals that are native to that area that could in theory, make their way from the shore, the seashore, you know, several miles inland to these tiny lakes uh, for unknown reasons. It would be a really rare occurrence and I think less often than they have been seen. Uh, so that could account for some of the stories. However, uh, you know, people talk about a horse-like head and a long body of an eel with a mane down their back. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really match up for me. It, it could explain some of them. Okay, so let's say you're let's say you're to hunt some some lake monsters or some pond monsters. <laughs> yep. You know, how would you set it up? I mean, what would you do if you you know you let what, go through the investigation of uh, you know trying to find the story, talking to the people? Like, how are you going to investigate a bunch of pond monsters in Ireland? Like, like take us through the process. Okay, so obviously we we have uh, witnesses we're already in contact with that we want to do interviews with. Um, We'll also be, you know, putting putting um, a note in the paper to try to try to bring in more witnesses, especially you know, current ones or more recent years. Um, we, in terms of physically being at these lakes and, and searching, um, we have a we want. Well, we'll talk more about that later. But we we're trying to round up some gear here so that we can do this investigation properly. One of the well, some of the tools that we want to use. Um, include a um, handheld uh, infrared device that I believe you could see things, uh, animals surfacing on the water at night, which is when, you know, they tend to to surface more. People see them more at night. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a great thing to have because, you know, people use those uh, forward-looking infrared in paranormal investigations uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, law enforcement use them, uh, you know, when they are searching per, for perpetrators, you know, even from helicopters, you can look b down below and see, you know, f figures moving in, you know, a darkened landscape. So, I mean, that would be, that would be a key, uh, key piece of equipment in the arsenal to be able to, to see creatures uh, surfacing in these dark lakes. You got to have that. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that we think is important is to have a, a drone to do, do, do overhead shots of the lakes. Now, a lot of the, the these lakes are 
filled with pretty murky water that you can't see too deep into. But from uh, aerial perspective, looking down, um, if anything does near the surface of the water, we'll be able to see that um, on the drone that we can get that shot with. Uh, another really, really important thing for me is the uh, remote controlled submarine. Um, and those are, they're pricey. I'm still looking at uh, a solution for us either to maybe rent, rent one or, and we have a few options, but basically we getting, uh, getting clear imagery and video of the bottom of these lakes and being able to, you know, literally like swim through it and see, see if we come across anything that's really, really important for us. Yeah. And especially since the horse eel in particular, uh, eels uh, in general, uh, would find, uh, you know, the lake bottom or as, you know, mm -hmm. their natural habitat. So, so they generally spend a lot of their time below the surface, but not just below the surface, but even dug into the mud. So yeah, you definitely need uh, equipment that is going to pick them up in that location. Yeah, I mean, if we come across something like that, uh, or even just uh, remnants of it, you know, if we if we're controlling the sub and we come down near the the bottom of the pond or the lake, and we see some sort of an indent in there that is, you know, <laughs> twenty feet long and three feet wide, that's you know, that that's important, you know, and that's something that the 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 previous team, it's been 50 years since this has properly been investigated. They didn't have that at their disposal. They couldn't buy a, a, a you know, underwater submarine. They, they didn't have infrared to, to work with. So uh, these are important tools. And there have been sightings since those, those last investigations. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, we have some current ones. And so are the sightings now more traditional? Are they, are they you know, are they still seeing the, um, the master otter? Uh, or are they seeing the horse seal? Or are they, you know, are, are they seeing maybe what are uh, ingrained ideas of what water cryptids are? You know, that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. I, I, I'm noticing as the years go on, I'm noticing fewer um, mythical seeming uh, encounters. It seems to be more uh, what you would expect. It seems to be a physical creature. Yeah, and and um the the master otter has has been seen uh it was just a, a few years ago um one of the, one of the more recent reports uh was just a, a a couple who was camping out on the lake and they heard some rustling late in the night and so they got out of their tent and they thought well you know we're going to go on a little adventure <laughs> and uh the uh, the husband had uh, this head-mounted light on, you know, as almost a joke uh, to be this, you know, kind of a fearless adventurer. And that's all he had on. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Don't go there, Mike. <laughs> I, thought I know your low voice is taking us to places we <laughs> don't want to go. Uh, so just pull out. Right. But new kind of <laughs> that's new right. Adventures. But but anyway, he has this headlamp on, and they they see this is a huge monstrous art otter, which turns around and growls at them, and then you know jumps back into the lake and speeds away. Uh, you know, and water creatures can you know be extraordinarily fast and this is this is what they saw and this was like nothing they had heard about because these creatures are so obscure they're like what the heck was that and if you if you google this creature one of the illustrations that you'll find is is by this eyewitness so yeah it's not it's not people's expectations you know that they're going to see this plesiosaur Hey, I'm in the UK. I don't know where I am. I'm not in Scotland. I'm in Ireland. But, you know, there must be plesiosaurs here. It, it's not that, you know, someone was being primed to see it. Uh, it is something that that just comes out of nowhere. And you're like, hey, what was that? Uh, and, you know, the the huge, uh, to, to think of a huge otter, I mean, that that's really something that is it, pretty much undone. Like, you know, no, nobody talks about that it's not one of the popular right nobody talks yeah. about giant nobody yeah, talks about it's giant not one others. of the popular cryptids out there and in terms of the eel i mean that's something that that could 
uh, actually exist. I mean, the otter could exist as well. And maybe it's not an otter. Maybe it's some kind of um, species of seal that, which, you know, seals can be pretty ferocious, especially like the leopard seal. I know that's more uh, from like the South Pole uh, region, but, uh, you know, what if it is some kind of migrating seal uh, that maybe has has not been categorized yet? Uh, and in terms of- But where do you report this? Like, where yeah. do you report this? If you see the master otter, I, I think- Like, where did those people send the information into? Like, did they call the Irish animal well, control? Yeah, I think that's a problem. Like, where, where, where do you report- your sightings. I mean, I think that's a problem with, with all these strange phenomena, you know, all these stories go untold because there's no one to tell them to, but certainly there's the center for, uh, Fordian, um, zoology, which, um, they've been very helpful, uh, just in preparing for this search. So, uh, there are, uh, staff members there that have done research, uh, in, into these creatures. But again, it's not widely known. Now, as far as the horse eel, I think that that's something that is even more plausible because we know there's large eels and eels do have like a fin down their back. Some of some species is very prominent, which looks like a horse's mane. You can, you can certainly see where that would figure into the description, uh, if if it has this um, this appendage that that many uh, eels have going down the center of the back, you you can see where people you know struggling to describe what they saw would compare it to a horse's mane. Uh, so that's not that's not impossible. I know um, that. People, certain people have have thought that even in Loch Ness, that Nessie and uh, you know not not being like uh, instead of uh, thinking of them as a plesiosaur or thinking of her as a um, zoobledon, some ancient whale uh, or something like that, you know, s- some people have put forward the idea that it is a giant eel. Yeah, and now one interesting thing about the the eel theory is that. Um, for a lot of people that don't know, um, these these eels they are born in the um, Sargasso Sea, which is uh, east of Florida. Now, no one knows exactly where where that is. The eels are kind of a mystery to us still, and they're born. And what we what we know, what we think we know, is that, and not us. I mean, science. Um, these these eels, when they're born, follow um, these like scent trails from their parents all the way back to where where their you know mother came from which um can be is is freshwater lakes so what these things do is they're they're born they swim all the way back you know thousands of miles back into these lakes and um the theory is that eels that are not um that somehow don't have an urge to breed or don't make their way to the Sargasso Sea to breed, they they just stay remain in these lakes and grow larger and larger and larger. Kind of like the uh, people know about the goldfish, how if you, if you just keep feeding it and it, it lives in a large enough lake, it'll just grow forever. Like when you see those huge goldfish at like a Chinese restaurant or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, like koi. We don't really know what the limit is, and, and that could account for some of these, uh, these sightings. If these eels really, really do, um, you know, it might not be – it might not be um, that strange for an eel to actually get 25, 30 feet plus. You know, it, it, I don't know if it's ever been tried in a, in a controlled environment where they just keep feeding an eel and just keep it healthy and see how, see how large it gets. I'd, I'd be interested. To know. Well, they know. should definitely do that. I mean, if scientists yeah, aren't yeah. going to take it on, we should do that. I mean, we've all got bathtubs, <laughs> right? Bathtub. What are you using that bathtub yeah. for? <laughs> You could well, you could start. That's where you could start. Growing your eel, and then you worry about it later. Like where do you put the right. eel? But that would that's a great experiment that you know kids could try at home, where you just keep feeding it and see how large it gets. I mean, which kid? What kid didn't want an eel as a pet? I mean, I, I know I did, but yeah, like um, I, I'm just amazed uh, by this idea of the eels. And I didn't know that, Travis, about the Sargasso Sea. And that's uh, a 
very storied area because it's also known as the doldrums. And that's where ships would get stranded because, you know, there's no winds uh, in that area. The winds um, drop down Mm. to, uh, you know, a a point where you can get caught for weeks and weeks and months and months in in that area and, you know, slowly uh, starve to death. And of course, you know, water, water everywhere, (sighs) but not a drop to drink. Uh, Because the eels want you there. They want friendship. I don't think they want your friendship. They lure you. I think think they want your blood, uh, or at least your flesh. But um, anyway, yeah, the the Sargasso Sea. I, I did not know that that's a, a breeding ground because you know there's certain certainly some paranormal potential there with that area and and uh, all the ships that have been stranded there throughout the centuries. Well, this idea that the streams, uh, you know, that these eels get in there through the streams, and then because they're in these tiny ponds, and they're the only eels there, maybe. Um, they can become huge. Yeah, you know that that's a that's a that's a cool theory. There was a koi pond at um, Zach Baggins' haunted mansion <laughs> in Las Vegas, and there was and there was like a little like, like a, there was like a full skeleton in there. There's these gigantic goldfish. Yeah, but the, I mean the goldfish were just huge because Zach uh, gave <sighs> nice. them his roids. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, maybe yeah. we could get Zach Baggins nice. to back the search, or at least, you know, I think he would be into this idea of just just taking this eel and just feeding it and feeding it and seeing how large it can get. You know, just like the largeness of of someone's ego, let's say, okay. <laughs> the unlimited growth potential. Right. It's just massive. Okay, so I'm um, looking for the eels. Uh, you know, looking to see if you can find giant otters. I've got a question. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering, you know, because we're talking a lot about the actual like potential that they're, you know, just regular creatures we haven't encountered before, maybe. But um, do any of the reports have any of the typical high strangeness features that we see that often accompany uh, cryptid creatures? Oh, that's a good one. Just curious, you know, like the smells or... Or that type that of is thing. a really good question. I haven't seen any of that. None. Zero. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and it seems like a lot of these witnesses are very salt of the earth kind oh, of people. Okay. And the fact that they've had this sighting is, is almost an affront to them. <laughs> but they're honest, yeah. so they're going to tell you about it. But, yeah, I, I don't think there, there has been um, a lot of joining up you know these these sightings with the paranormal Mm -hmm. can you school us on that travis i mean i mean i certainly when i hear it i try to join it up with like fey legend but i do that with everything (laughs) yeah it's allison (laughs) naturally yeah it could be that those aspects there are there but they're just not reported because you know like like in ufo if if you look back people didn't in the beginning didn't report you know (laughs) abductions and things that like that of that nature so yeah yeah, that, that could well be. You know, I, I sort of went into this with the idea that um, these creatures could be could be very paranormal in, in, in the way that a lot of people look at Bigfoot sightings. And we have reports of them sort of just disappearing or just walking into a tree. Like, I mean, literally like walk through a tree or just fade yeah. out, disappear. Um, I'm, I'm sort of I sort of went into this thinking that um, these these creatures, these animals in Ireland could could be along the same lines, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I haven't found evidence of that. I haven't found anything really paranormal apart from, you know, sort of that people have seen it in, in a certain lake and then other people will go looking and spend the weekend and, and, and turn up nothing. And that sort of hints that it's gone, but is it really, or is it just sitting at the bottom? You know, imagine seeing Bigfoot walk through a tree. <laughs> like you just changed your underwear from seeing Bigfoot. And then he like becomes oh, no. incorporeal and walks through a tree, and you're like, "Oh my god, I don't have a third pair." <laughs> like I just like it's yeah. that's the thing. It's like okay, you you see something mythical, something strange. Uh, it sounds like when you see the master otter, first of all, you're probably weirded out a little bit, like seeing one of those giant insects in that <laughs> them 1950s movie, or when you see like a a horse's head with an eel 
Uh, I'm I'm picturing like a snake with a horse's head and it just oh like gosh, slithering so the grass and into the water. <laughs> and like maybe the horse's bot, like the, the, the head is slick. The mane is slicked <laughs> yeah. back. And, stuff and like that's that. what they report. Like, like the slimy no, mane. I'd, I'd, lose yeah. my, I'd lose my lucky charm. <laughs> that's pretty terrifying. So we should talk a little bit about now you guys are going to try to make a movie about the Irish water monsters. And so let us know a little bit about the film and what, what that's all about. Okay, so yeah, this is, you know, I've been so fascinated by this since I've been researching it and reading the books. And uh, I, at one point, I, I don't know exactly when it happened. I just, I just really felt like this is a story that needs to be told uh, outside of a few um, very, very unknown books that, you know, you guys have probably never heard of. Um, these stories that no, no one knows about this, these I don't even believe um, that it's even been touched on in other episodes of other um, paranormal creatures. You know, you have like Monster Quest and they go to certain regions of the world. As far as I'm aware, they haven't even done a five-minute snippet of, of these Ireland monsters. It's never been um, told properly. You know, there, there are a few episodes in um, um, some news reports in Ireland over the years, you know, two or three minutes here, five minutes there, but a proper documentary of film. And I don't mean like a mini documentary, 20 minutes. I mean like a, you know, hour, hour and a half, like a proper film um, with all the witnesses and taking you to the lakes and, um, you know, maybe retelling some of these stories and doing the uh, proper investigation. That's just never, never um, happened. So I became really interested in, in, in creating such well, that sounds good. And, and so it's, it's an Indiegogo campaign, right? Oh, that's right. It's an Indiegogo campaign. Um, we have uh, a lot of information there that, uh, that people can read if, they're, if they want to learn more about it. Definitely. And, and we think we can do it for, you know, a pretty affordable amount. So, you know, we're not <laughs> looking to strike it rich here. Uh, it's, it's just uh, we're looking for help to get the equipment that we think we think would help in the search. What would it take? What would it take to find this creature? That's all we're asking for is, is help with that because I, I think it's very, very doable. It's just no one has done it yet. And there are certain mysteries which are just low-hanging fruit and you can make history by helping us find this creature, these creatures. And again, it's a very, very limited search area. So it is, you know, it is going to be a task, but it, it's not uh, impossible. It's, it's well within, it's well within uh, the, our means if we can just be helped, helped out with, you know, some of these, these more advanced, um, more advanced tech, uh, if we can be just helped out with some of these devices, I mean, I think that's going to be key because that's what other researchers haven't had in the past. And we have the benefit of, you know, some of this equipment. And I think if you take it. Are people willing to talk yeah. about it though? I mean, like are the, are these Irish guys like, I'm in. Oh like, yeah. Let's do it. I mean, I've been in contact with a couple of members uh, from the, the center for uh, Fordian zoology uh, Richard Freeman being one. And when we started talking about it, I mean, there are people ready to jump on board, uh, experts, uh, local experts uh, who really want uh, these creatures uh, investigated. And they're just looking for outside interest to make it happen. All right. So you guys can find links to that. And if you're interested in, in checking out, learning more uh, about the Indiegogo campaign, you're going to be able to find that othersidepodcast.com slash 247. We'll have a link to the trailer and then a link directly to the Indiegogo campaign. Um, so you guys can contribute and check it out if you're interested. And so when it comes to, you know, it comes to these kind of things from the reports you've read and the stuff that you guys have looked at so far in investigating these monsters, what's the verdict? Do we think they're just going to be seals or do you think they're going to be magical fairy horses <laughs> uh, with little eel tails that, that float around? Like, what do you, um, you know, what is it, what does it seem to be your, your gut feelings that we can compare your gut feelings now to your actual right, results Right. Yeah. What's later. the hypothesis so, so, so what do you think? that we're looking at here? Yeah. 
You know, I, I'll, I'll go first and I'll let you chime in, uh, Allison. Uh, I'm, I am so conflicted. I'll tell you, I'm really conflicted because uh, I, I went into this and I still hold on to some belief that it's a, a paranormal creature that can just fade away back into another dimension. You know, but uh, we're just we're just not seeing that in the sighting reports. So that leaves us, you know, maybe with the possibility of a real flesh and uh, flesh and blood animal. And um, that seems almost as impossible. Right. Because you, you need to have a breeding population and so on. It just doesn't make that much sense. Um, what kind of does make sense? And this is also really fantastical is that you have a possibly undiscovered uh, animal that that lives primarily in the ocean that makes its way into these smaller you know, ponds and lakes because, you know, perhaps it just wants to it needs to drink fresh water. That, that could be or it just comes for some other other reason that it comes there so it's possibly an undiscovered um ocean creature slash monster animal that um that just occasionally makes its way into these freshwater lakes so yeah i'm, I'm, I'm conflicted between these two or three all right well that that boring allison <laughs> <laughs> no i i have to agree you know i i love to go there you know with the fey explanation uh, interdimensional creatures, you know, that kind of, that kind of focus. But uh, from what I read in the sightings reports, you got to follow the data, uh, no matter where it leads. So I would say, you know, I'm leaning towards a, a less mystical hypothesis here that this, this is really a flesh and blood. Both of these are flesh and blood creatures. You know, like I said, with the master otter, that uh, perhaps this this Irish hound of the deep is some kind of undiscovered seal species. Uh, I think with the horse eel, yeah, it's just a massive eel that you know spends a lot of the, its time at the bottom of these bodies of water. So that's why people don't typically see them. But yeah, there's some migration pattern um, as we were as we were talking about with with eels that they do have. Um, the you know the the uh, discovered species, the described species have an established migration pattern. So thinking that you know some undiscovered species might also have a, a, a migration pattern is not not um, something that's crazy to propose. It's well within the realm of possibility. And then you know if you consider that most of the ocean is still unexplored, you know we we know more about the moon than, than we know about most of the ocean. When you consider that, hey, that for a lot of people, for, you know, even people very skeptical of cryptozoology usually have to admit that, yeah, yep, there could be, there likely is a lot, lots of undiscovered creatures uh, in the oceans. So, Perhaps, again, these creatures live most of the their lives in the vast oceans. And for some reason, there's this window of opportunity where they come into these small lakes and to do something, breeding or uh, some reconnection. Murdering town Murdering folk. Murdering town folk, yeah. <laughs> you know, some connection with, uh, you know, their past, you know, if if that's, you know, where where their ancestors are had uh, migrated through and and they're returning there. You know, who knows exactly why they do it, but we know that animals do these sorts of things. So we have this window of opportunity here. We have this defined search area. We have the opportunity to talk with these witnesses. And Travis has, you know, unparalleled access to witnesses and and we should utilize this and bring in technology that we have the benefit of today. And and I think we're going to find I hope something. So. And I also hope that you guys are uh, are shocked and you find this this amazing information that reveals a new paranormal phenomenon. I know that's a little selfish Ooh. of me, but <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll take it. I, I love it. Either I way, love it's it, cool Wendy. because if you identify some, you know, species or something that hasn't been documented yet, that's also awesome. But you know, I know that would be huge if if it's like you know, here we've got this little 
we've had this little film. We've got these unknown cryptozoologists uh, coming in on the scene, and we document a species. I mean, that would be huge, and that that would be great for cryptozoology right. and citizen science yes. to let people know that uh, you can get out there and. There are mysteries yet to be solved, and you can participate in them. And if you can get footage of the horses and the eels actually making love, <laughs> like reproducing, <laughs> that's the oh, kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that Nat Geo. Oh, come on. We're talking about science documentaries. Science oh, documentaries. Yeah, yeah. Are you're full thinking of, about science. It's for science. <laughs> they're full of animals banging. Oh. Like half. Like, oh, my on, God. Get out of here, Barry White. If you turn on Nat Geo right now, <laughs> we'll probably see a couple of lions. Uh, rutting. And I'm just saying okay. that's just how that's that's how the science documentaries work. I think the people, I think the people at the Discovery Networks are well, kind of we know. Yeah. <laughs> Sex cells even in biology. <laughs> it does. Well, I mean, so that I mean that is biology. There you go. But anyway, uh so you guys are gonna be able to get a direct link to uh, the Enigma Indiegogo campaign. So you guys can join in that. You can find the other side podcast.com slash 247. That's where you can find the notes. You can find pictures and more information about these crazy Irish denizens of the deep. All right, Travis. Um, we want to thank you for joining us yeah. today all the way from the other side of the world. I hope you're still chomping on that uh, Pra-Ram long song because it is good <laughs> stuff. All right. Thanks for having me. Yes, and good luck. Yeah, and good luck. Good luck with everything. I hope you guys find the horse eel. And uh, Allison, if people want to learn a little bit more about the weird weirdness in your life, where can they find that? Well, they can find a lot about me on hawaiiparacon.com. And, uh, and Hawaii Paracon is going to have, right, what, what are the dates on that? Uh, it's uh, July 19th through 21st, Ooh, 2019. Soon. So it's coming right up. Yes, and I'm hoping I find some monsters oh. there as well. So you can meet Allison in person, and she's actually bringing the master otter with her. So she will <laughs> That's have, right. She will I have got an a, extra seat on the plane. She will have a gigantic <laughs> otter with her. Just make sure you don't fly Southwest, because Southwest, if it's too big, Southwest will make you buy two seats. Oh, no. Remember we were, they kicked we were, Kevin Smith off because he was too I, big? I know, and and Southwest is the way we were going to go with the tickets. Oh, well. well just you know, make maybe sure, you can just lie across my lap just, or something right. like that. The, the thing is, you don't have to worry about first class with them or anything like that. Or maybe uh, you can get them in one of those free bags. Nice. But uh, either way, either way, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, my best to you guys. I hope, I hope you guys get a chance to go find those Irish monsters. Yes, go get them. With the focus being on Ireland in this episode, it seemed appropriate to feature a sunspot take on some traditional Irish tunes. Of course, in order to fit in with our theme, these aren't just any tunes. They're all ones that have paranormal titles. So take a listen to our fiddle mashup featuring The Haunted House, The Leprechaun, and The Fairy in this week's song, Irish Paranormal Medley.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. You know, imagine seeing Bigfoot walk through a tree. Like, you just changed your underwear from seeing Bigfoot. And then he, like, becomes incorporeal and walks through a tree. And you're like, oh, my God, I don't have a third pair. <laughs>